Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jay Sticky. And today we are covering a Dunbar's number thing, but before any of that, we have a couple of, no, not feedbacks, follow-ups from previous episodes, so we're going to hit those real fast. I have one quick follow-up before I forget. Do it. I was talking to my mom, because my sister just had a baby I mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, like the day before we recorded our last one on pregnancy, mm -hmm. and so my mom and I were talking about my sister's pregnancy and delivery and stuff, and I was telling her about the episode we had and what I learned about it, and as far as my mom's anecdotal evidence and from what she's heard from other people that she's known who, who've been pregnant over the last 50 years, she said that sounds like a very atypical experience. Oh, really? So okay. I have one data point that says that that sounds not typical. Okay. All the yeah experiences I know were more in line with uh, Katrina's. Like, it might just be because it's mostly people in my family, and we tend to genetically just have a bad time. I told her too that it's like you know, is it possible that thirty something years has clouded your memory of how bad it was? And she's like, it, she says that's definitely possible, but I don't remember anyone ever mentioning anything like that, and I don't know why my memory would like cloud out other people's experiences. But anyway, one anecdote. <laughs> that's all I had. Let's well, do let's do real let's do thoughtful feedback. I think thirty years ago, people just didn't talk about this sort of thing. Maybe not publicly, but I imagine people want to talk to their, you know, friends and parents or something. I don't something. know. We kind of... Maybe not. Charlie's saying no from the kitchen. Yeah, we, we kind of talked about the fact that, like, even I think nowadays it's still kind of taboo to suggest anything other than, like, bliss, you know? <laughs> and I, I didn't eternal know any... gratitude at motherhood. Yeah, I didn't know any of that stuff until I talked to Katrina, and I've had, you know, a mom and a sister that have been pregnant, so... But they never talked to you about when you're pregnant, here's what to expect, Right. That's true. <laughs> but I think the reason they have books that are so popular about this is because people aren't told it by their parents for some dumb reason. That's a good point. And honestly, people should tell the men about this as well so that they realize what a big fucking deal it actually is. Yeah, this is actually one of those cases where I feel bad for the men. Like, <laughs> I know, like, what about the men or whatever? But, like, <laughs> I know a lot of people who are the partner of someone who's been pregnant that are really distressed throughout the whole thing at just this feeling of powerlessness you know your partner's suffering and you can't do anything about it and you're like weirdly kind of locked out a lot of the time too like there's the whole i don't know like the men shouldn't be in the delivery room they like get kicked out they have to pace back and forth in the hallway and like yeah. it just seems awful too there's different flavors of suffering for basically everyone involved including the fetus <laughs> oh last bit of feedback sorry on the drive here i saw a billboard that said it was like a picture of a, of a, of a little baby and it said uh, I have it had prints at nine weeks. It old. has apparently it has eyes at at fourteen days. Oh, okay. After conception. No, the hell it doesn't. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. There's no way. Not even fourteen. Fourteen weeks, maybe. It has the light sensitive photoreceptor yeah. prototypes. Okay, but, but come I read on. the thing twice. I'm like, that said days. Much like the heart, uh, the the heartbeat is just a fluttering valve. That and also, you know heart. what else has eyes? Like every you know mosquito that's ever bitten you. Come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you know, for for what it's worth, uh, Roe v. Wade was officially overturned yesterday. Uh, I was surprised by how much, like, I thought everybody knew about this when the memo was leaked, and all of a sudden everybody's like, "Oh my god!" I'm like, "Who didn't know? What the fuck?" Also, I, mean, I, I was already outraged weeks ago. That a lot of people have been wisely just avoiding the news in general. Uh, that's fair. That's because they don't listen to the Mind Killer podcast, which they should. That's true. <laughs> right. Oh, well. Let's get into some follow-ups from previous. Let's do it. There is a Twitter... Gosh, who is this uh, person? Natalia Coelho. Who's actually awesome. Oh! Well, who is this Natalia Coelho? Uh, I'm trying to remember, and I might be wrong, uh, but I think that this is the person who's interested in 
I think this is the person who was doing like really interesting political work. Hmm. Okay. Well, I do not follow Natalia, so I don't know who this is. Uh, Natalia says, I am publicly challenging Mold Time, which is the Time Mold Slime Mold Twitter handle. Uh, they were the guys who did A Chemical Hunger, which we covered a few episodes back about lithium uh, leading to weight gain, secular weight gain all throughout the Western world. Uh, it says, I am publicly changing, challenging Mold Time to address food lithium levels data from recent large total diet studies, which contradict almost all of the takeaways of their recent literature review. Links follow in the tweet thread, which point to a recent study that said it looks like lithium is lower now than it was in previous decades by a fair margin. I don't know if Slime Mold Time Mold has replied yet, but I thought this was a cool thing that we should keep our eyes on. Lithium might not be the culprit. After all, I'm interested in what Slime Mold Time Mold thinks of this. Maybe it's something else instead. When did the drop-off in lithium start happening? Because if it's less like say, in 2010 than it was in previous decades. We might not have seen the impact. I'm looking at one of the linked articles. Um, It's from 2012. Okay. Unless, you know, like in the, yeah. no, I mean, I, the I, last 10 years. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm assuming suddenly they, shot up. they look at stuff. And there's another one from 2015. I mean, um, I'm kind of of the same mind, honestly. I actually experimented with supplementing lithium for a bit because I had a suspicion that uh, levels might be low. I mean... Things that I had heard said that historically we were getting a lot more lithium and that supplementing it in low doses seemed to improve a lot of uh, particularly like mental health issues. <laughs> I mean, it certainly can if you're if you're having certain mental health problems. Yeah, I didn't notice anything, so I stopped. Okay. Uh, but that's just affect... my one anecdote. How long did you take it for? Like three months. So I gave it a pretty good shot. Okay. Did it affect your weight at all? Um, Maybe. I don't know. Okay, hard to tell after three months? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Alrighty, so yeah, that is that. And I'm not going to say that we are going to keep on top of this because our attentions are scattered and reversed, <laughs> but uh, hopefully someone will, and we'll hear back within a few months uh, with their uh, their reply. It's nice to hear that there's at least dissent on this because, you know, the initial thing was pretty doom and gloom. So kind of like, you're fucked, there's nothing you can do about it, your water's poisoned, and it's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> um, so at least... You know, I don't want to, like, not believe something just because it's a bummer, but I like when things that are bummers might not be true, so. Oh, also, that's that was the situation with lead in the 70s, 80s, where it was just in the environment and you couldn't avoid it. And people, you know, could have been like, oh, we're fucked, we can't do anything. Or they could pass laws to keep lead out of the environment, and 20 years later, there was significant reduction. So it's not like there's nothing you can do about it. That's yeah, there true. was that cool story on the new Cosmos of that one guy who championed removing lead yeah i really liked how i learned on the mind killer podcast this week that they outlawed the use of lead-based or rather they they legalized the use of non-lead-based fuel in small personal aircraft last year yeah not like they made it illegal to use lead they made it legal to not use lead-based fuel they were required to use lead <laughs> up until last year your question was like what i thought it was like where do you even get lead-based fuel anymore <laughs> Specialty yeah. gasoline producers for small private aircraft. Gosh darn. Yeah. Like one guy with a still. <laughs> <laughs> He's crushing up lead from his own mine and <laughs> mixing it into the gasoline. Speaking of gas, I think I filled it the first time since like gas prices started skyrocketing because I never drive. Mm -hmm. I filled it today for 80 bucks for 16 gallons. God damn. So that oh was my fun. God. Glad that's a once every quarter kind of expense for me. 
Yeah. I have a horror story about that that I just don't want to even air. All right. I'll just leave that. <laughs> well, then we have to push forward. <laughs> okay. Uh, the <sighs> other feedback thing that I have is, again, also from Twitter, because it seems like very many people have switched to either blogging on Substack or microblogging on Twitter. And that slightly annoys me because now I have to be on Twitter more than I would like. But on the yeah. other hand, it's a, it is kind of useful for, for watching people putting their posts together in real time, the little small pieces of it. Anyways, uh, this came from Paul Graham originally and was also uh, Patrick McKenzie was uh, part of this. Uh, we discussed GPT-3 and the other large language models and their improvements recently with the Freeman brothers. Even more has happened since then, which I'm sure you probably already know. But Yes, larger keep, things keep getting bigger and better. But uh, Paul Graham observed that these things are very good at cranking out what we used to rely on as proof-of-work things, uh, specifically like undergrad papers, where the actual product doesn't matter and it's going to go in a trash can as soon as you get your grade. Uh, <laughs> it's just there to prove that you did the studying and you know your stuff. And now GPT-3 can just crank it out, and that won't work as a proof of work anymore. Uh, there was a similar fascinating thing. Uh, I don't remember who posted it now, which really irritates me. I should have saved the link. Uh, but someone pointed out how with DAL-E, the full version, it is incredibly easy to fake slides of... Uh, PowerPoint slides? No, no, no. Slides like under a microscope slides. Oh. Uh, photos you would take of cells doing things and just use those in a biology paper as fake evidence. You'd be like, look, this cell did this thing. Here is the photos to prove it. Oh, that's going to be annoying. And Yeah, that... I mean, how, how do you even... Replication. Guard against that. I mean, unless you literally replicate it by hand. But we should be replicating more than we do anyway. But we yeah. really should be replicating a lot because now no initial study with photos can be trusted for anything because especially if it comes... Um, well, I was going to say, especially if it comes out of less reputable places like China, where they have actual um, quotas for reports that they have to put out. But, I mean, even well-known, highly respected Western researchers do this sometimes, like with fucking Wakefield. They just hmm. fake data. And now that you can just fake photos of cells doing things super easy, uh, that's that's going to be another big problem. So these AIs, very useful tools, but uh, also can be used for evil, much like nuclear power. Yeah, a lot of a lot of technology is double edged sword, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I can't help but feel like this is actually good because, like, the same way, I guess I was pleased that like people realized what fake news was and started being like, "Oh my god, you know, there's fake news on the internet." Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, this is you could have doctored a photo to make cells doing things for a long ass time uh, with Photoshop or whatever, and people have, and now people are just sort of aware of it. So I guess never trust just one study that hasn't been replicated ever again, which is depressing. I'm just going to not believe anything ever again. <laughs> you can't do that. That's that's not the way of base. I can't do that. I mean, Wait, is that can. a belief? That is a belief. Hmm. Mm. If I believe I can do that, that's also a belief. I'm in a conundrum. <laughs> Damn it. I'm, I've shot myself in the foot before I even finished tying my shoes here. Yeah. Ah, well. But those are our two updates on previous stories and that means now we can go into our main subject our main subject this time is going to be dunbar's number and how it rules everything about us this is more our bodies trying to kill us just like with pregnancy except you don't have to get pregnant for this one to kill you yeah well i mean this is this is a number of things about <laughs> yeah dunbar's number of things yeah thank you i was just thinking that oh damn it i hate you both <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, before we continue, we should probably quickly cover what Dunbar's number is. Uh, it's named after... Dunbar. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm like, I don't know his first name, fuck. It is named after Dunbar, though. It seems that humans can have approximately 150 social connections where they can model the other people well and robustly, and that's kind of the limit. And this is tied loosely, or approximately, to like the size of bands of hunter-gatherer humans or something. And yeah, that's like how many people you would have had in your tribe, supposedly. Yeah, yeah. And, and it and varies by day. person, but 150 is about the average. And I'm uh, ruining the bell curve on that, then. <laughs> you, you can only know four or five people? That's about right, yeah. <laughs> okay. If I, if I have to keep up on their lives, yeah. yeah. It's, it's single digits. I know, I kind of had that same like, thought where I was like, who the hell is that many people? Like, That sounds exhausting. I don't know if you necessarily have to keep up on their lives. I can mentally model them as people. Yeah, sort okay. of. Then, you... then that's definitely probably closer, especially if you can count fictional people, which I think is is totally allowed. Oh, man. Oh, in that case, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> I think a lot of our real estate is taken up by fictional characters. Yeah. Whoops. Oof. Fictional people are just like regular people, you know, to your brain. They are. Of. Maybe maybe that's why it's important to forget fictional people quickly. I prefer some of my fictional characters. <laughs> no, I, I agree. <laughs> Thank but you very I, much. I have noticed that I often just start forgetting people uh, that I've read about after, I don't know, a few months, maybe less even, unless it keeps being brought up somehow. Like, I will never not have models of um, the Evangelion characters in my head. Probably the same for the Harry Potter characters. Those are like super stimulus people, though. Yeah. That makes sense. And they keep getting brought up in my social sphere enough times to keep them relevant. What would Jean-Luc Picard do? Exactly. There's always an answer to that that you can readily access. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting that Jesus is in everybody's Dunbar number in the Western world. (laughs) Not really in mine. I don't have a good model of what he would do. Like in half his moods... Like flipping the table and whipping people is is an option, and the other half it's like just turn the other cheek. Mm, that's a good point. Whereas Jean Luc Picard, I can I, I've never even seen Star Trek, but I'm just channeling <laughs> my inner Patrick do. Stewart, and I think it's pretty close. So, yeah. all right, <laughs> you really got to watch that entire series someday. Maybe maybe skip some of the bad episodes. We'll we'll put together skip lists. I'll give you one for Supernatural. You give me one for uh, Star Trek. Fantastic. All right, I will watch both of them. <laughs> nice. Maybe back to Dunbar's number the size of human bands realistically it didn't have to be just 150 people you could count on the people that you know to know a number of people as well and trust their judgment on things so it could in theory be a bit higher than that right no doubt some of your spheres will overlap but yeah yeah but the interesting thing about dunbar's number is that it seems to have really big effects on how we perceive ourselves in the world and how we judge our status i guess This is from a study that was linked by Rob Henderson on something that's vaguely related he's working on. Uh, It says the effects of individual statuses within their community on their health held up in every study. Low status seems uniquely harmful to health. Uh, The lower status you think that you are in your Dunbar number, yeah, your Dunbar sphere of people, uh, the less healthy you are. Your body just seems to try to uh, make you die quicker you know who else said that hmm. jordan b peterson oh really well, that's his whole lobster thing he just he used a weird metaphor so Th- what's his lobster thing i've heard about this lobster thing a lot oh uh, it was like basically to that effect uh that status matters a lot and then was like 
even lobsters, we've studied them, and they also produce serotonin and norepinephrine and cortisol, just like us. And when you see, the, you know, you could study their brains and their levels do this, and then they behave like this, and everybody was like, lol, Jordan Peterson thinks lobsters are like people. Oh, <laughs> that doesn't sound like what he said. He was actually saying something that wasn't totally insane. I mean, he said some other things that are fucking nuts, in my opinion, but, like, that was that was what people decided was funny and okay. shrug. I guess lobsters are easy to latch onto. So I don't I don't know who Rob K Henderson is. I'm assuming they're a reputable person. Uh, within the rational sphere, yeah, does a lot of interesting research. Okay, cool. I was gonna say because the paper they linked is behind a paywall, so I can't even see what the what like the sample size was. Okay. If they ask five people how many friends do you have and how sad are you, then like I'm not that interested, right? Right. So he linked to at least five different studies, nice. or cited at least five different studies in the screenshot here. Yeah, citations are shaky, though. I know. You can't trust anything anymore unless it's been replicated, and you got to go and check if it's been replicated. And trust but verify. Says what it says. It says. Yeah. <laughs> but this also comes from like the camp of like, or comes out of the camp of like things you probably could have guessed, which is a good prior for me for like how likely I think a psychology study is to be true. Uh, <laughs> would you have guessed this? I'm not sure I would have. Well, a lot of people. Yeah, if, I mean, like if you have low self, if you if you perceive yourself to have low esteem among your peers, that you might be less healthy. Yeah. I guess less healthy. I don't know how I, if I would have predicted that, but I would I would have impact. I would have guessed that it would have negative effects on you, right? Yeah, Probably. I see. I don't know. I don't think I would have guessed that. I would have thought that people that are low status are just as could be just as healthy as people who are high status because I didn't think the two were correlated at all. That it's mainly due to things like exercise and making healthy choices and whatever, and not that directly <laughs> low status only. just leads to poorer health. Sounds like one remedy for this could just be to find a bunch of low-status friends. Like, volunteer to work at, like, an elementary school, and then you're surrounded by a bunch of uh, children, and yeah. suddenly, like, you're, you're the tall person who, you know, <laughs> can, can drive. a hundred children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, actually, I, I think when I was working at the library, it was one of my, like, happiest periods, but also I just met a lot of kids that could, like, code in Python. <laughs> I think also librarians are uniquely high-status within the library. You are one of the masters of the domain there. Yeah. You know where the books are. You can tell people to lower their volume. Lord of the information. <laughs> that's right. Oh, no, I couldn't. That's that's the thing libraries don't do anymore. You can't shush people. Well, then what's the point of being a librarian? Uh, I know, right? <laughs> the, the main thing my brain keeps going to is friendship is optimal about mm -hmm. my little pony. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that like the super AI does is increase everybody's Dunbar number. <laughs> Oh. So they can have even more friends and be even more happy through friendship and ponies. And I was kind of psyched about that. that, actually. It's like, man, what would that look like? Like, what would a species that can remember, like, 8,000 people and have them all as, like, really dear close friends look like? Jesus. How would they live their lives? Like, Are they even human anymore? No. I mean, that's a post-human for sure. Yeah. I guess they're technically my little ponies. I'm going to say they're ponies. <laughs> But when I think of low-status people, I generally do think of people who look, you know, unhealthy. Well, I think there's the... So, in the tweet here, there's an excerpt of the paper, mm -hmm. and it says that, for example, individuals who eat poorly and smoke might tend to be relegated to the bottom of their community's status hierarchy and also have poorer health. However, the effects of individual status within their community on their health held up in every day, in every study that controlled for behavioral health habits as well, including diet, smoking, sleep, sleep efficiency... Alcohol consumption, exercise, and body mass index. Yeah. So. So just being lower status makes you less healthy. That seems to be what it's saying. So this is like cool for AI friends. <laughs> B 
because you can make your AI friends less lower status than you? What? Well, no, I meant like having more friends makes you higher status and happier, right? Oh, okay. Although I guess you could also say it like that and make it sound worse, sure. Yeah. <laughs> this got me thinking on a number of things like when your social environment was more natural, the people who you live around, it was basically your Dunbar sphere. Most people had something they could contribute in some way and something that they were good at, if not necessarily the best at. Uh, so nobody had like rock bottom status unless they really were kind of worthless drains on the community. And, you know, them shuffling along might have been a net benefit. I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but... <coughs> What do you when mean you're... by shuffling along there? You know, killing themselves, oh, drinking gosh. themselves to death, okay. whatever. Charging that mammoth, being like, you know, death or glory time. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to think that when your sphere is more natural, you kind of have a more realistic sense of how useful you are to your community and what you do actually contribute and in the modern day, we more, more and more isolate ourselves so that we don't know the people around us. And of the people that we do know, the majority of them, I would say at this point, have highly curated existences that we interact with a lot of people online. Uh, we know a lot of celebrities. And of those people, we generally see only the, the highlight reels, the hits. We see them at their best after hours of makeup with great lighting or you know a thousand pictures were snapped when they went out to a party and someone's like oh cool these are the two pictures where i actually look really good and they put them online and you see your life all the time not just you know your highlights and so you tend to feel like you are much lower status than you might actually be and so everybody feels like they're at the bottom of the status ladder uh even when they aren't and i think this was drastically amplified during the covid years because we literally couldn't go out and see people in our normal environment. We couldn't mingle with people at work who sometimes have bad days. We couldn't see our friends and just chat with them. Uh, instead, all of our interactions were online, which just amped up this sort of filtering effect. And everybody felt much more like they were the shit rock bottom status people. Yeah, like everybody was doing COVID better than me. <laughs> exactly. You know, like you'd see other people live streaming, like with clothes on having like <laughs> you know gotten a shower and like they're cooking or whatever and i'm just like Ugh. producing their one-man <laughs> comedy specials yeah. filmed entirely in a single room there was like the 72 things that you can do while you're social distancing and like people you know uh gross <laughs> the, the sampling effect of like what you see on social media i think you're right it's been a problem for as long as social media has been a thing. Because mm -hmm. you don't post your boring minutes, you post your exciting minutes per week. Mm -hmm. and as you're scrolling through your timeline, all you're seeing is all your friends' exciting minutes. And you're like, my minutes aren't full of this much excitement. It's weird. I was just I was just thinking about this yesterday is when I articulated it because I was, or what's today? Saturday? Yeah. yeah. So I was filling out like my, I think they call it 15-5, 15 minutes every five days or five minutes every 15 days. I forget how you're doing at work kind of thing that my manager will see. <laughs> One thing I really like about my current job is we do like a, virtual happy hour every other Friday afternoon. Mm -hmm. um, we do, I think, and then the week where we're not doing happy hour, we do like a coffee break in the morning one week. And it's like the entire company can jump on this call for 30 minutes if they feel like it. Mm -hmm. And I put my comment there. I was like, you know, this actually, I love this a lot because aside from Brian, I haven't seen a coworker in like two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's, it didn't occur to me to like how, like I didn't phrase it to myself that way until yesterday. 
And I was like, oh yeah, aside from like the one guy I knew outside of work already, I haven't seen a coworker like in real like I haven't shaken a coworker's hand <laughs> in yeah since February yeah February 2020. Yeah. yeah, my company is like 40ish people, so if I tried, I could learn all their names. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, like this one has a dog. This one's got kids. You know, whatever. Like I'm I'm able to keep track of that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. So I I'm curious. You said apologies to Jerry Springer. Is there something I'm missing context on here in the notes? Do you... I'm familiar with the show. Okay. So the show, they bring on complete wrecks of people, and basically everyone in the audience gets to gasp and pretend to be horrified and secretly laugh at the people whose lives are absolutely fucked up, right? Let's keep in mind that the people who are doing that are people who are spending their afternoons going to see a Jerry Springer show, so they don't get to pat themselves too hard on the back, but yeah. And also, it later turned out that a lot of people on the Jerry Springer show might be exaggerating their uh, their problems. Because oh, sure. Yeah, if the problem isn't good enough, then they, they wouldn't get paid for their appearance and things like along those lines. I mean, even if it was free, you want to ham it up just to be memorable. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jerry Springer, in retrospect, everybody dunked on how he was just highlighting these wrecks of people and uh, that was cruel to do. And anyone who watches this is kind of a asshole. But uh, I think maybe Jerry Springer was helping to balance the scales a bit <laughs> by bringing to everyone's attention these people who are whose lives are much worse and who are definitely much lower status than the viewer and so helping the mental health in general by letting people recalibrate to a more realistic level of oh i'm somewhere in the middle of humanity probably rather than gosh i suck and i don't even know why i'm on this planet even though they're doing just normal things and having a normal life which is relatively fine that's really funny. I like that. Yeah, uh, like isn't that the point of reality TV? So you can see like who's got it worse than you. I guess so. Maybe <laughs> I haven't watched reality TV in a long time. I think now it's mostly celebrities with amazing lives, right? I don't know. I okay. don't watch it. I know the Kardashians have been on TV for like twenty years, and they're all thriving on their on their hundreds of millions. So yeah. you know, if they've got drama, it's like all right, we'll throw a hundred million dollars at it and solve your problem, right? Right. Um, it's interesting. Showcase some people who it's like. You might be having a rough time, but you have most of your teeth. This person, hardly any teeth, you know? Like, just, just something super, you know, At least I'm winning palpable. Teeth. Yeah. I think it also helps to explain a lot why people nowadays, even though the average middle-class person has a life that is objectively much better than the kings and emperors of uh, prior centuries, doesn't feel like they're much better off because the kings and emperors were extremely high status and a middle-class person isn't uh so they still envy those kings despite the fact that you know they had shit health care they had shit for living conditions they had sh- uh shit for entertainment it, it just was not a great society they still had to live in their own poop smells so. <laughs> i think some people are willing to trade like their air conditioner and the refrigerator for like being a king yeah because so, then you get to be at the top of the status pile which right. it, is it, what humans want right it's less about like how am I doing? It's more like, how am I doing in relation to my neighbors? Yeah. And if, as long as my neighbors are doing worse than me, then I'm doing great, you know? <laughs> I think that that's a, an understandable, or rather a relatable mindset that people have, but also I think a, should you have a giant red flag next to it that says this is a, a failure mode, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of where my mind keeps going. Like, it would, I don't know, again, because this is a biological thing, supposedly, but it would be cool if our takeaway from this is like, Maybe people should learn to appreciate what they have and, like, chill out about status comparisons. But it is, yeah, hardwired into us, so we're going to need some 
probably serious biohacking <laughs> to do stuff about that or you know early intervention like i think one of my major takeaways would be uh get into a group that does things uh that you like to do and that appreciates them like i mean i'm part of a writers group here in colorado and we're all I would say uh, most of us are above average writers. We've been published in professional venues and we help critique each other's work. And the thing is, I feel more fulfillment from having those five to seven people read my work than I do when it gets published at a major venue like Asimov's or Analog. And I know hundreds or possibly thousands of people are going to read it because like those five people are people whose opinions I care about and who I know and who it feels like I'm writing for, you know, that's, that's what really motivates me to keep writing is to present something to this group. And it's an amazing feeling. And even though I know I'm not the best writer, well, obviously I'm nowhere close to the best writer in the world. I'm not even close to the best writer in Colorado, but I'm doing pretty darn good in my group and they appreciate the stories I have to tell. And I appreciate the stories they have to tell. And maybe, you know, find a group that does things you like to do and you can all feel better about each other and about making each other's lives better in that way. That's solid advice. I mean, I like where your head's at. It's interesting because it, it re-anchors your, not your baseline necessarily, but your scale isn't Stephen King, mm-hmm. right? Your scale is like your peers, mm-hmm. people you see every other week or every month or whenever it is. And you're like, yeah, none of these people are coasting at the top of the new york times bestseller list for 26 weeks a year yeah it's just like no we're all just doing our thing and we're all we're all really good at it you know yeah yeah i think i mean we all do this podcast together and we appreciate each other's efforts right hell yeah (laughs) i'm kind of curious now i know that in our discord there's over a half dozen people now who have started their own podcast projects even like short-term projects you know and now i want to know uh if they could post somewhere if they hear this like if they felt better about their lives for the duration of that project i assume that's the case yeah that's that would be my guess uh, everyone who answers just at inyosh on discord <laughs> um he'll he'll give he'll get back to us next episode absolutely this might also be part of what alienates people from their work the past five to six months i've been working on renovating this place that we are living in and recording from right now and it was a fuck ton of work and uh it technically wasn't paid necessarily work but it was very fulfilling, and I was complaining recently to some friends that, uh, man, now that this is almost done, my life is going to undergo this major shift where I don't do this anymore, and that kind of sucks. Uh, and someone chimed in with like, hey, uh, I'm replacing the tile in my house. You want to do that? Uh, help out with that? And I was like, no, no, <laughs> not really. Because <laughs> I don't see you very often. I don't know you that well. I don't, I don't know how, you know... I almost feel like maybe I should be getting paid if I'm going doing labor for you. But if I was doing labor for people within my Dunbar sphere, like I would be getting reputational effects for that. I would feel better. They would like me better. Like the whole thing, all of a sudden the, the labor seems worth it for its own sake and you don't have to get bribed to do it with money. And I think that's like why a lot of labor is unfulfilling nowadays. You don't necessarily care about your boss or the people you're doing it for you know that you're going to leave this job probably within the next five years due to economic realities there's no deeper intrinsic motivation of of i will gain status within my dunbar sphere for helping contribute to the common cause by doing this or just for helping make someone's life better that's an interesting framing on it because i didn't quite put it in those terms before but i guess it's kind of clear like 
like my dad's a master's level plumber. They get a you get a certificate saying master plumber. Mm-hmm. He's he's been that for forty years. You know, so he'll he can help me with some issue I'm having, and he, he doesn't he wouldn't accept money if I if I if I had ever if I had ever even pretended to offer it, right? Yeah. But you know, maybe the neighbor he'd help for free, but the guy two blocks over, be like, yeah, I, here's my hourly rate. You know, like there at some level, it's like, yeah, you might you might even really like what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh no, I work on cars in my free time. I love it, but I'm not gonna work on your car for free. Like that's that's work. You know, and when you mentioned putting this place together, like this is your home, right? Yeah. If, you're, if you're throwing some proximate stranger's house together, it's like where, where's the intri- the intrinsic reward is in like the fun of doing it, sure, but like that's a lot less palpable when you don't get to hang out and enjoy it afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. the approval of a person who you hold in esteem. If it's someone you're never going to see again, why would you care about their approval? <laughs> or you'd care about it at least a lot less than someone that you see regularly. Yeah. I don't know. I remember uh, when Hanson came to uh, when Robin Hanson came to Denver, no. that I bought him a drink, mm-hmm. and like I kind of like you know, there's no reason. I'm sure he makes more money than I do, and you know, yeah. but it was just like I get to say that I bought Robin Hanson a drink, yeah. right? <laughs> and so it's like, he, you know, so, sometimes like I guess you know, if if um, I don't know, insert celebrity was like, you know, she can help me with my thing. I'm like, yeah, you bet, I'll fly out to help, right? Right. Um, even if they didn't even post about it on social media, he'd be like, look, I helped put insert a celebrity. Uh, about to say George Carlin, but he's dead now. Unfortunately, um, uh, it's been like twelve years. Except um, uh, Tom Cruise, Ayla. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah, Barack Obama. The first one that came to mind. Yeah. Sure. Or, yeah, or yeah. Ayla. You know, whatever. They're both uh, A tier celebrities. Right. Um, you know, it's like yeah, no, I helped work on their stuff. Like that, that'd just be a cool thing to be able to say, right? Absolutely. Um, George R. R. Martin. There we go. Would be pretty big in my circles. Yeah, people would be like, "Holy fuck, really?" And you'd be like, "Now that you don't have to spend time putting your cabinets together, maybe you can get to work writing that fucking book, right, bud?" Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just waiting for that joke. <laughs> nah, he's he's never gonna do it. <laughs> See, I just I avoided the whole pain of doing this by just not reading any of those books. So I'm sure they're good. They were. Yeah. I mean, they still are, I guess. Yeah, I think with the celebrity, that's because the celebrity kind of has a place in your Dunbar sphere. Or, or maybe had at the time, so it your your biology was hacked a bit that you felt you were doing something. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that's that's how all parasocial relationships work, right? Like the other person doesn't know who you are, but you know who they are, and they you, they feel like they're in your sphere, so you want to treat them like someone whose opinion of you matters. To run back to like the you know the analogy of being a king or whatever, if you're a peasant who's really drank the the kingdom kool-aid you might be really excited to go die in war for your beloved king even though your king has no idea who you are right Right. but you're doing this you know for king and country (laughs) so it's just thinking of um fury road right remember when he's like he looked at me oh (laughs) like it was and what and joey looked at me how he was looking at the verizon (laughs) oh he looked at me oh gotta go die for him (laughs) See, that's I get why people like to be kings, right? Mm-hmm. Like those people are ready to throw themselves in front of a bus or a partially modded semi truck for him, right? So yeah, um, yeah. So I think that's at least part of the mental health crisis that COVID sparked. And Just I having think... less exposure to people when they're not doing exciting stuff. And uh, I think it's worth a tiny bit of risk of getting COVID, especially if you've been vaxxed and boosted, and it won't probably be a big deal to step away from the zoom as much as possible and the social media and just start you know touching grass as the young people say nowadays i love how that replaced going outside yeah yeah. Yeah. (laughs) with the first time i heard that i was like 
what is is that like fuck you is that like sit and spin on it or something and they're like no no just literally go outside and touch grass I'm like, oh well that's far too literal for me i was hoping it was something more metaphorical i thought it was a weed thing when i first heard it okay cool but yeah i'm glad it wasn't just me that because there's already <laughs> a phrase for that go outside right? <laughs> it doesn't matter if there's grass or not what if it's winter right? right still just get outside get away from your computer i think another thing that you know, if this is something that we're aware of and we can try to correct for, as we try to do with our uh, subcontent, there's less of like a bias and more just of like bad programming, but that's kind of, you know, what biases are as well, right? Yeah. Um, try not to anchor on celebrities. Just be, you know, be aware of the fact that when you're watching their Instagram posts, you're like, okay, this is them not doing all the boring shit everyone does, you know, mm-hmm. eating breakfast and taking a shit, like brushing their teeth, you know, they do all that stuff too, right? Yeah. For me, it was always a funny image as like a kid. Imagine like the Pope, like take like ha- taking a shit, right? <laughs> and well, because you know he's supposed to, you know like I was never super religious, but I knew that the Pope was a big deal, and the idea that like you know I, I also wondered like does he hang his hat on something or does he wear it like while he's on the on the porcelain throne? So like I I don't know, um, but but the thing is, is it helps humanize the person, right? So you know it. I guess uh, I don't know be in mind of that when perusing social media but i think another um, important uh thing that people sometimes fall into is don't join communities that are all about glorifying how low your status is and uh and really digging uh, into that the i'm specifically thinking about the incel black pill communities who seem to be mostly about like yeah we are the shit scum of the earth our lives will be awful forever and uh let's just realize that we suck know. and death would be better than this. Honestly, I feel like uh, some like far left, really like hyper liberal communities have started to become like that too. Like oh, yeah? anytime that you're kind of spiraling down into self pity or a victimization mindset, it's not good. Yeah, I remember sort of when that was happening to feminism. Yeah, I think that there's definitely enclaves. You're right. So it doesn't have to be like the extreme black pill community. It could be. Which I'm not, I've not, I've not heard of before. That's the like, what worse than incel? I don't know. It's it's basically incel. Okay. It's you just you swallow the pill that uh, tells you you will never have a mate. You are in completely unworthy of love or human affection. I forgot what all the pill colors meant. So, <laughs> uh, red pill is harsh reality. Blue pill is you know beautiful matrix land that is lies. Okay. And um, black pill is everything sucks. Yeah. You suck. All right. Yeah. Um. But there's there's definitely enclaves on the like in the progressive circles where it's like the more of a victim you are, it's almost like a status game. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you get some status, but you only get it by like it's talking about how bad everything is. Right. But, like the thing is then when you've achieved the highest status of being the most oppressed, then you can't, uh, what is it? Like get out of learned helplessness or you'll lose that status. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you, you can't actually like get better because then you lose status mm-hmm. and your brain really, really likes status. Yeah. That sounds like a, an avoidable trap. Um, that, that seems to me a lot like old school fundamentalist Christianity, where you talk about how oppressed you are by the modern yeah. world and how, you know, Satan controls the governments and is out to get you. There's lots of groups of Christians that still have that mentality yeah. of like Christians are an oppressed group. And I just have to laugh because I'm like, you realize you're the I think biggest, most powerful group in the world. <laughs> well, I mean, their their religious holy text is based upon a time when they were literally an oppressed minority yeah yeah and enslaved and killed in in public for their beliefs it it doesn't work very well when you are actually the ruling class and uh, control an empire 
but somehow they have to square that circle and and still believe that they are oppressed. Yeah, the gymnastics involved. I, you know. But you can, I guess, you could still be highest status by being most oppressed. I don't know. I think yeah. it just. I think uh, you're right. Mental gymnastics, a lot of compartmentalization. I think that mental those, that mental gymnastics would be good for their mental health, but mm-hmm. you know, because gymnastics are good for physical health, but mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. Well, maybe I think probably um, a lot of the extremely I'm so oppressed leaders in in woke spaces are probably very high status in their communities, and but they might are be having good lives. They might be miserable. I don't know. They seem pretty miserable. I mean, I was pretty miserable when I was spiraling down that way myself. Oh shit! Okay, because they're, they're always literally trembling, you know, or mm-hmm. or literally shaking when they read the news or something. Right? Yeah, no, I used to mm-hmm. like get, I guess, like <laughs> some kind of adrenaline boost or something from outrage porn, and it felt really important to always be checking like feminism blogs to see what atrocities been done to women today, and then get all mad about it. Mm-hmm. And I was just walking around mad all the time, and also feeling hopelessness and. It, yeah, <laughs> I went through a phase like that. I'm glad it didn't last that long, and I didn't get too deep into it because I didn't have the energy to be that deep into it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I realized it was just sucking up all my life. And I was just, it was just kind of the realization that, oh, you know what? I don't actually like nothing in my life actually changes if I don't know any of this stuff, <laughs> right? So join communities where your status is based on cool things you do and ways you can help people, rather than how miserable and depressed you are. Yeah, totally. Well, and you mentioned another thing too. Uh, this is a thought I had when you said um, join a community where you know you and your peers are working on stuff that you all appreciate, and you guys can compliment each other and uh, constructively criticize each other. Um, I wonder if it would be advisable to n- avoid joining communities where status is a goal. Like I'm thinking, like academia. Mm. Um, I, I think this is actually contested as far as like I don't know how what the research state looks like on this. I've only heard anecdotes, but people who leave academia, some of them say like, yeah, it was terrible and I'm glad I left. Others are like, oh no, I liked it. It was, I, I regret leaving or whatever. But the, the social competition stuff. Um, some people do thrive on competition and actually miss it when it's gone. Like this might not be advice for everyone. Yeah. I think also there's some parts of academia which are still pure of heart, like the absent-minded professor who just is working on his chemistry thing or whatever and loves sharing it with students and improving on the the world understanding of chemistry and doesn't really fuck around with all the status games so much probably would really love academia i think that's why i liked a lot of my high school teachers so much my high school science teachers they did professional science at some point in their lives or you know on this on the side while being teachers Mm -hmm. but they were high school teachers Mm -hmm. you know that there wasn't a ton of status associated with it they were there for the love of the of the domain right Mm -hmm. um I'd like to say, like, oh, I'm above all of, like, this stuff, but I'm definitely not. Like, I would like... Um... And nobody is. Like, this is hardwired. Right. But, but like, I'm fully aware of the fact that, like, I want to be appreciated at work, mainly because it says job security. Like, I was I was talking with a coworker about this because we're... in uh, one thing that I like doing when I can is, since I don't work with people in meet space, we work together online, like, on a, on a call or something. One person I'm working with for a while, she's been at this company for a while... I'm like, oh man, I'm not getting this. I need to like get this stuff together so I can, you know, demonstrate my value. And she's like, I don't get it either. I was like, yeah, but you've been here. Like, you're at less risk. You know, they, you've already proven your worth here. I need to once once I've solidified like done something useful, then I can start like not worrying about sucking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's also just the like esteem thing of like, wouldn't it be cool to be like the expert on something, right? Yeah. Um, the go-to guy for this sort of problem. Yeah. 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 Maybe eventually. I think that's why there's um, the advice that 
in order to make friends with someone, you should ask them for a favor and not the other way around. Yeah. Because it makes them feel like, oh, like, you know, I'm high enough status that this person, you know, respect me enough to come to me for advice. Oh. I think that was Ben Franklinism, at least attributed to him. I remember that from Influence, Science, and Practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, one of the things, too, it wasn't just like, hey, can you help me with this? You're really smart. But there's also like, can I borrow a pen? Because like, <laughs> yeah, then even the small com- things well, but, still give you a little hit of that. Well, well, because then to them, they're like, I gave this person something. I must like them. Like so, like, like to be consistent with that past behavior, I'm going to continue to be like, be nice to them. Um, I think that was at least that was what, what was in the book. Um, and I'm assuming he vetted his stuff. So sounds uh, dark artsy. It's definitely dark artsy. This this is I think everything in influence. Like it is. It, it's oh. kind of it's written as a like. Here's a guide to not get fooled by these brain hacks that other people shady people might do to you but it could also be you know used as here's a guide for how to be that shady person it's a defense against the dark arts course yeah which means here's a dark arts course right Right. yeah all right well i also had a dark side of dunbar sphere thing going on because as we said most things that can be used for good can also be used for evil what was the good part of dunbar sphere we didn't cover that yet did we uh that you can Put oh, the yourself community. in the groups where yeah. you can contribute something and appreciate each other and feel good about your life. Okay, yeah. And also, you know, you learn not to make your sphere be a high percentage of people who are, your interactions with them are online or parasocial. And parasocial, you mean what, not... Um... That's the relationship we have with all our listeners uh, where, you know, they hear our voices and think we're talking to them and we're good buds and if we're like which by the way we are we totally especially are. You. and we're like yeah we're you totally listening right now <laughs> you're you're our favorite listener and it's also this uh the relationship we had with like robin hansen where we greatly admire him and we couldn't wait to be like around him and talk to him and buy him drinks and he's like yeah i'm, I'm glad you guys read my blog <laughs> it's funny you know like you listen to a podcast long enough uh it sounds like like in your head you're like you're basically friends with these people. Mm-hmm. Like, because I've heard more of, I don't actually particularly like either of the hosts of their Very Bad Wizards. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're fun. I like the show, but like, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want to hang out with them or whatever. Okay. But I've heard their voices for many, many dozens of hours, which is more than like most loved ones in my life, right? Okay. And so, like, it's that. So I know, I, I see what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Parasocial relationship. Yeah. Um, all right. So, what's the, uh, the dark side of this stuff. The dark side of Dunbar Sphere is uh, something that I picked up when I was reading the book review of The Dawn of Everything that was hosted on Astral Codex 10. Uh, this was not written by Scott Alexander. It was written by one of his many readers because he has this contest, I guess, every year now, which is awesome because yeah. these book reviews are always fantastic. So I'm very happy about this. Uh, but the book is The Dawn of Everything, and it does a deep dive into what living conditions were like uh, before... Recorded history before civilization, really. It started out by saying that the two big narratives before this were those of the noble savage, where our ancestors were, you know, basically great noble people uh, living off the land and uh, being being in strong communities, and uh, then civilization corrupted all that. Uh, or the alternate view that nature is red in tooth and claw, and the state of nature is one of constant hunger and warfare, where people are basically at each other's throats, scrabbling for life all the time, and civilization has rescued us from that. It seems like it could very easily be both. Yeah, well, you're, yeah. You're doing that with everyone else, but you're doing the first thing with all your friends, right? <laughs> well, the Dawn of, uh, of Everything argued that it is neither of those things. It's a third thing. But the review of the Dawn of Everything said it's not any of these three things. It's a fourth thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> which was really cool. Uh, he took a lot of the evidence that was presented in The Dawn of Everything, and his primary question was, why did it take so damn long for civilization to form? Because it looks like humans in their modern uh, form were around for possibly 200,000 years, at least 100,000 years. Uh, but civilization didn't begin until about 8,000 years ago. So what's with that minimum 90,000 years where humans were basically as they are now, and yet we never had civilization? We just kind of roamed around, gathering, maybe hunting a bit, not doing a whole lot. I haven't read this, but can I make a guess? Sure. Writing? Or uh, some form of history keeping? No. No. Okay. No. I was going to say that I know that the dawn of civilization correlated with the advent of farming, but I don't feel like farming was so hard that no one did it in the previous 100,000 years, right? Also, so, what was exactly what was brought up in the book, there was actually evidence for uh, farming quite a bit before civilization occurred, that uh, some tribes were not at all uh, roaming tribes and just stayed in one area and did some rudimentary farming. It, it, it can't have been that hard to figure out that when I put seeds in the ground... <laughs> plants come out right yeah so uh yeah i could put a fence around the pigs and they can't run from me (laughs) right (laughs) all right so so what what does the book put forward and what does the uh the book reviewer put forward well the book puts forward that yeah agriculture did exist long before civilization happened uh and that actually people sometimes made large structures uh yeah gathering areas like clay uh what would you call them like pueblo-esque buildings i guess Mm -hmm, The, mm -hmm. the big clay blocks that they would just like you know those covered large areas but they didn't seem to stick around for very long they like would make them for a while and go and the conjecture that uh he came up with was that people would sometimes be forced by circumstances generally people want to live in bands of around 150 that is our Mm -hmm. state of nature that is how life feels good like that you know all your people uh you can talk with them you can model all of them and social life basically proceeds purely on uh raw social power uh meaning things like gossip like you know who's doing good things for whom you can keep track of debts and favors and things like that uh you know who's the great guy who's really popular uh you know who's the shit heel that just screws everybody all the time people know who you are too and there's accountability exactly and and your social status is important you uh you contribute to your community and everybody knows how much you contribute and it's a it's a good dynamic people like it i have an anecdote related to this go for it uh, a few years ago we were selling rachel's car and somebody from Folsom, new mexico bought it on craigslist they saw it i guess and had a friend drive them up, and when they put a PO box on like the address line of the bill of sale that I was that we we're filling out, I was like, "Oh, like not an address?" He's like, "No, there's it's not big enough for an address. There's like 80 people in Folsom." Oh, cool! And like, so the person who drove them out here was just happy to get out of town for a day, <laughs> um, and so he handed me an envelope of cash, and he's like, "All right, we're good." And I was like, "You don't want to like start the car first? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, I, he sounded nice on the phone, <laughs> but that, so that that's the level of like you know social accountability, you know." I was like, oh yeah, like in Denver, there's like a million people within 20 miles of me. Yeah. I could be an asshole and disappear forever with your money, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, as it is, I happened to be a scrupulous person, and the car did work. Yeah. But, uh, it, but in it's, a small band, if the car doesn't work, you can find the person. Be like, hey, the car didn't work, bro. Right. Or spread bad rumors about them, and then no one would do business with them in the future. So. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. So the, it ran on social power, and humans have large brains in large part 
because of this to, uh, to model people to, to do all the social game stuff and keep track of these social interactions. And every now and then, by circumstance, people are forced into much larger groups. Uh, many of these groups like might have to get together to get through the winter season uh, without starving to death, pool some resources or whatever. And then when spring came around, they'd split up again. And those group buildings were, those large buildings were generally used for those sorts of meetups. Uh, and it wasn't always the winner. It was various other situations for various reasons. But Town every... Hall. What's sort that? of like a town hall sort of like a town hall or like a group community living area yeah okay the uh, eskimos or inuits apparently had Wait, uh, just everyone go there i i i think it varied by the culture specifically okay. uh the inuits um i i really thought they sounded awesome and I, maybe i would want to be one because every winter they would get together and just have giant orgies for a few months <laughs> <laughs> and i was like sweet that's cool uh and yeah back then like your wealth was temporary it was mostly calories so uh people who were very wealthy had a, like a bunch of meat or a great harvest or something and they would give it away because otherwise it's going to spoil but everyone remembers oh this is the cool dude that gave me a bunch of meat and and grain and stuff and then your reputation goes up your status goes up and in result people are uh, happy to do favors to you in the future it's it's just it's a cool way to be and it's the natural way humans want to be but they were forced into larger groups uh at times for survival reasons and when that happened you couldn't use the dunbar social power anymore to govern people it just you couldn't model that many people uh people could disappear into a crowd potentially uh you couldn't spread rumors when there's a group of a thousand people all together that's why people have such nostalgia for kings in the olden days mm-hmm. they're, that they're thinking of that kind of civilization that's like why i, I just kept being baffled that you know people what do they call them uh like neo-reactionary types mm-hmm. like, man everything would be so much better if we went back to like the medieval days yeah and, and i'm he- just like how like not only did it not really work that great that like i can think of it also just didn't it doesn't seem like it scales yeah we have 7 billion people now. Yeah, no, it doesn't scale at all. Even in a larger town of maybe a couple thousand, like, you only know 150 people, but everyone that you know knows someone else, and you are at most one degree of separation from anyone else. Or, or two degrees, I guess. You may not know everybody, but you know... Uh, you have a chain to everybody. Someone who knows yeah. everybody. Yeah. There's, there's never a person who's two steps away. Yeah. I can totally see what you're talking about, though. Um... There's definitely, like, higher stress when it feels like you're around a bunch of strangers. Mm-hmm. So civilization was invented as a way of managing these things. Uh, at first, there, uh, at least it was hypothesized within this review that it was more of um, masks and games kind of thing where you took on various roles, but everybody knew this wasn't, like, for serious. It was... It was, you know, you put on the mask of the jester or the mask of the king just for a few months, and then you go back to your normal life afterwards, and everybody uh, goes back to their, their normal social lives. But uh, over enough time, the masks became real, and people just started to be like, oh yeah, that's the king, that is the person who makes the rules, and laws had to be codified so that people could get along and live with each other despite not knowing each other. Like, that's that's the point of the rule of law, right? You don't have to know someone's reputation. You don't have to know, is this a a trustworthy, uh, great person? Or is this, you know, a skeezy thief guy, like Loki, that's going to take your things and pl- to play terrible pranks on you and you never get what you want out of the deal? And uh, that that was the dawn of civilization. I could see how religion would play into that, too. 
mm-hmm. or mythology where there's just um a common set of like characters and stories like human psychology seems to really heavily run on stories and having that in common with someone like sort of builds a community it's not clear to me what the actual catalyst was to make civilization happen though like it just why it doesn't explain why it took 90,000 years and not 10,000 years it just it took some threshold probably of number of people maybe it might be the that actually probably was a huge factor of it right one you had to hit a critical threshold of population and then you either did something about it or everybody scattered basically that's yeah i think that could be part of it and to be clear that was the the argument put forward in the book or that was the reviewer's position that is the reviewer's position and what was the one in the book honestly i don't remember the one in the book now because the reviewer's position was so um cool yeah cool yeah i can dig it yeah, if you skip down to the section on seasonality and the theatrical governments of prehistorical societies, that'll bring up where he starts putting in a lot of his his hypotheses. Uh, damn it. Do you mind if we pause real quick while I do a quick touch-up on this and answer Stephen's question? Okay, so Stephen, to the answer of your question, humans went at least 90,000 years looking like we are now, but without civilization, without advancing in any way, he called it the sapient trap. Humans became sapient, and yet something kept them from advancing any further than that. What is this trap? Uh, the answer to what got them out of the trap is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does not say it. Uh, he gives the speculation that civilization happened because more and more people started clustering together, and you couldn't organize society by social power anymore. You had to do it through formal rules and laws and roles. And he specifically says that, like, before, human society worked a lot like a high school. And I think high school isn't a great example, but it's a decent example where you know basically who everyone else is, more or less, and how they rank in the status hierarchy and how they might rank within their own individual groups' status hierarchies. Uh, Like Regina George is the head of the plastics in Mean Girls. Yes, Mean Girls is actually brought up in this review. (laughs) Perfect. You should totally read it. It's great. Uh, Yeah, he says basically... High schools are ruled by gossip and what we refer to as social powers, basically gossip. So he's like, you know what? I'm just going to call it the gossip trap. Humans were stuck in this level of society without civilization because this is the way we like to live. And uh, gossip was what united uh, us, what let us run society. And it wasn't until that was no longer enough to run humans that we had to invent civilization and codes of laws and things along those lines. So it was like a population threshold, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I can dig it. Now we've got Facebook and Twitter. He literally brings that up in the next section. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I which mean, is... it, no, it's, it's the logical conclusion. Like, this is a gossip engine. Yeah, it is the thing. He says, what are the hallmarks of civilization? The hallmarks of civilization is being immune to gossip, being ruled by laws instead of what people say about you behind the back. It's Supreme Court justices that can't just be kicked off. It's professors with tenure. It's uh, CEOs that don't have to care what their uh, employees are whispering about them. Um, it's, It's that if you follow the law, you are not in trouble, period. And people can't just gossip you out of your out of your life so we haven't achieved civilization yet is what i'm hearing well what he's saying is that we may be regressing because twitter has allowed the gossip sphere to extend to far more than 150 people anyone can start a little gossip pylon and then not 150 characters oh wait (laughs) and then through enough gossip you actually do make professors lose their positions you make ceos lose their jobs you can get 
people canceled just by whispering enough vicious things without them ever having broken any of the laws that we decided are how our civilization is run. I don't see that as a regression, or at least the examples you brought up all seem kind of suboptimal. You know, like, I don't want there to be a world where there's an invincible CEO that doesn't have to care about what his employees are feeling. Or, like, I'm I'm trying to think of a good example of this. (laughs) You know? What about uh, um, professors with tenure? Again, that... That doesn't strike you as a good thing? Just because you've been there for long enough makes you invincible. I mean... Uh, Another example he gives is protected classes with impunity that can speak and present new ideas like journalists or scientists. Okay. Um, I don't know that I agree that we have that necessarily either. Did we, though? See, I I wonder... I don't think we have ever, really. I wonder if this person's... The author's romanticizing the last century because, sure, you couldn't tweet that somebody was a pedo and get them, you know, uh, fired, but you could gossip to your coworker that hey might that guy's gay and 50 years ago <laughs> that true. person would get fired you know or yeah. like you're right commie if you're gonna go <laughs> like back another 20 years someone's reputation if you like, wanted to so i think the gossip engine never stopped yeah i think but you had to be within shouting distance of the person that you're shitting on maybe yeah it just difference. became global it yeah. was significantly curtailed yeah but i think that you know go back a century and it's like it's easy enough to just all you have to do is just make up one malicious rumor about somebody and they're fucked yeah. um well, also but, importantly is when you're living in a gossip society, it's super important to be popular. Some of the people that fare the worst in a society without formal civilization are the uncool, the Aspies, the the people that don't know social conventions and can't maneuver. That was all my those thought things. when you brought up high school. Yeah. Where I was just like, I I was completely oblivious to any of that going on during my high school. I was always just kind of like frustrated and confused, <laughs> stumbling around trying to like. Yeah. I, I think that's why this is of specific uh, interest to our our group, our in-group. <laughs> we we all tend to be on this side of things. And uh, yeah, he says it's terrible for the accused, the exiled, the uncool. I wanted to hit again the beat that Jace mentioned about religion playing a good role in this. Because like, mm-hmm. you know, the long arm of the government might not notice if, you know, so like you can be reasonably confident that the person you're talking to on the street isn't a serial murderer because the government, you know, the cops probably caught them already, right? That, that's sort of like the, the latent assumption, maybe, right? Okay. Um, but, well, I guess in just the background prior that there aren't that many serial murderers, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they want you to think, and then, boom, they serial murder you. <laughs> um, but the, the religion aspect is like, oh, no, you don't even need the government. Like, you've got, we need, we, you have, there's, there's an order being kept, and it's always watching, right? So Well, those sort of formal religions, I think, are part of civilization, I yeah. mean, up until pretty recently, governments and religions were completely intertwined. That's a good point. I can see the role that, like I said, in, in, like everyone's sort of subscribing to the idea of if you're the kind of person who's going to flake on a deal or not pay back a debt or whatever, um, you might be able to get away with that. Mm-hmm. But God will always know. And as long as we all believe that, then you won't do it, mm-hmm. right? Um, Further incentive not to break the rules. Exactly, yeah. So should we be worried that civilization is regressing back into the gossip trap due to uh, technology like i said i don't think i agree with the like i I think that the facts line up with how we have sort of shifted and changed as communities but uh i don't think i agree that we're regressing i mean that that gossip civilizations are bad like you did bring up that people really tend to prefer those dunbar's number mm-hmm. type communities they feel safer and more comfortable and it is probably due to the fact that so many people live in cities or are exposed to people on TV and the internet all the time that there's a huge 
surge in depression and anxiety in the developed world way out of proportion to like quality of life in other realms i guess the question would be would you prefer to live in a society of laws or a society of gossip where whether you're guilty or not depends on less on evidence that can be presented in a courtroom and more on can you marshal more people to be on your side in a social shouting match versus someone else they both have their drawbacks like you know roe v wade just got overturned Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i I think that's like a full dichotomy kind of yeah i think and that's also a different question than do i think we're regressing as a society yeah just because i i'm I'm, i remain unconvinced that we ever really left that gossip thing I, i get where like it's taking on a new face like i said now People in the U.S. can scream across the ocean at J.K. Rowling, right? Mm-hmm. But before they would have to go over there and yell at her workplace or something, right? Yeah. Um, or write a letter to the U.K. newspapers. Right. Um, which would be delivered two months later. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, ideally I'd like to live in a, if I got to pick, a world with good laws, right? Well, um, so, yes. You so, know, you, so you would prefer laws to social power. Yeah. Uh Obviously, again... Do you still prefer laws to social power if you are a well-respected and highly known podcaster? Oh, uh, well, as as a, what was it, well-respected and highly known podcaster, yes. uh, I would have to say that... I'm trying to think of a jokey answer for that funny question. Um, but in seriousness. Like, no, I, I, I would like to think that if I was somebody with lots of esteem and power, that the rules didn't apply to me because I could just pay my way out of them. Mm-hmm. I was, I'd like to think that I'm the kind of person who would have like enough character where I'd be like, I still like the rules and I'm going to follow them anyway, even though I don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, that, but that's easy for me to say as somebody who's not Jeff Bezos. Yeah. So well, if, I, if I was Bezos rich, I have no idea how I'd feel about that question. <laughs> isn't that like how a lot of small towns are run though? There's like one or two strong men, like the mayor, the sheriff who can do basically anything they want because they have all the social power and the laws just aren't applied to them. Basically everything I know about that sort of mindset comes from that one guy from Folsom, New Mexico. My great grandparents lived in a town that was like a couple thousand people. My grandma grew up in a town that was in the hundreds of people. Um, but everything else is fiction. And if that's the case, like sure, the sheriff could make the laws and do whatever, but you just had to shoot him. Right. And like, you know, we're talking about like the good old days and neo-reactionary stuff. Like, I, I always think of like the old West and it's like, yeah, some guy without a driver's license. Cause no one had an ID back then just wanders into town and shoots somebody and leaves. Like what do he look like? He looked like everybody else. He's covered in dirt and he's wearing a hat. Like, <laughs> you know, so that's why everybody should be packing heat. So when someone does that, everyone else can kill him. Right. Like, Oh shit. He just shot Jim. Get him. So I guess I, I don't think that maybe we'd have to go back further to like Kings or something before we could say like that, a ton of like that much extra power right sure you've got the social ins- insulation of like your deputies or whatever you're, you're the sheriff but yeah. if you get two of it your deputies are going to shoot you I mean, right? the, basically like, that's mutinies lit- happened on pirate ships i, I, I so was about to say, yeah <laughs> that's that's how pirate ships work that's how the mafia still works because laws basically don't apply to them it's just the social power you can have as a as a person as a mafia don or as a popular or unpopular grunt right okay um i could try to articulate a thing try being the operative i feel like throughout history it's always been the most egalitarian societies that have also thrived the most i'm thinking of ancient egypt um wait ancient egypt was the opposite of egalitarian they had a god emperor yeah but i mean for the time uh women could own land and rule uh even slaves were 
treated like people. Okay. And, uh, you know, Athens, uh, yeah, democratically run societies now. Like, th- when I'm thinking of the sort of, like, gossip-run thing, I tend to think of people, like, as individuals having power. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the worst societies have been the ones where there are these, like, concentrated points of absolute power and nobody has any say in it. I think you can get concentrated points of absolute power with social power as well. I think they're the same, though. Like, I, I'm i trying to draw this line between law and, like, gossip culture, and I feel like it's never not been gossip culture. Like, it's, it, you know, you're talking about a small town that has the, the sheriff and the deputy and the whoever, and it's sort of like, yeah, we still do, and they still get there by social maneuvering. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you think we choose the president? It's definitely not their policies. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're, we're still humans doing human shit. Okay, yeah, I see your point. He draws the analogy of with the new powers of technology, we might be able to revert entirely to social power again instead of having to rely on laws. And so we can fall back into the gossip trap, which he calls the uh, summoning an elder god, the gorgon with a thousand heads. I would worry about something being just entirely social power rather than laws because I like the fact that we have some laws that say, yeah, you can say whatever you want and you basically aren't punished for it. I sure do think the addition of laws has been a benefit, but I don't feel like we're losing it because we've invented Twitter. I hope not. I think he's saying that we could get there and we should worry about that. I kind of feel like there was this regression period sort of, you know, before fake news became a hashtag and hmm. when anonymous accounts and commenting was allowed everywhere, you know, like that that was nightmarish. And then a lot of sites did actually rein in people by adding laws making people have to log in on their account for accountability purposes like moderating comments so civilization has reasserted itself where it started to fall up that does seem like that's a cycle right the internet was kind of the wild west for a while Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh but it was pretty quickly reined in i mean how long was it i remember the dawn of the internet my lifetime and these periods which is Super weird and cool. Mm-hmm. I love that we're living in times where stuff happens fast enough for us to like see these whole epochs, mm-hmm. <laughs> or what would have been a whole epoch. And I don't know. I'm you know a hopeless optimist, I guess. But I think that there's a lot more power in connecting people and bringing a lot more people into the conversation, and giving them voices and power. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to end it because I prefer optimism. But it seems like Stephen may have a thought. No, I'm just kind of reflecting on this. I. You know, so I'm still kind of just tossing around, do I accept the premise, like, that we ever got out of this, you know, do I accept the dichotomy, and then do I accept the premise that we ever, uh, the dichotomy of, like, state law versus gossip law, mm-hmm. uh, and do I, do I believe that we ever got out of gossip law and that we had state law, um, but it's, it's an interesting thing to think about, um, I, I get, I think part of this might be, feels like an artifact of the times, right, where it's like, did you hear about this professor that got fired because in 1991, they said that thing that people don't like anymore now, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Now I like I get where like this is a a a concern about cancel culture stuff, but I still feel like you know I, again I wasn't alive a century ago, but allegedly, um, <laughs> but I still feel like it was easy enough to ruin someone's life just by saying something. But maybe it was the fact that you couldn't really do it anonymously, um, easily anyway, right? The thing that I really like about civilization is that you can be a complete weirdo freak and it doesn't matter too much i 
was never popular in school. I was, you know, one of the social outcast geeks. And, I mean, school really sucked. But the fact was, once I got into the adult world, I could just do my job and follow the laws and be as weird and eccentric as I wanted, and it was fine. I didn't have to justify anything about myself to anybody. As long as I could pay my rent and I didn't break any laws, I was golden. And uh, that was great. I loved having that freedom to be eccentric and crazy. And I would have been very unhappy in a society where I had to go to social events all the time, constantly manage my reputation, massage people's feelings, and be a bit of a conformist just so I don't get kicked out of the tribe, you know? Uh, so people don't start looking at me as the weird one who who doesn't help, who nobody really can quite get along with. Maybe Maybe we should think about letting him go next time the tribe has to relocate and just be like you can you can stay here Eniash. I mean just 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 stay here we'll come back for you next season <laughs> and be like oh fuck now i'm dead <laughs> <laughs> and the not having to have the pressure of always living up to other people's expectations and being able to do my own thing was great what world are you describing i like <laughs> only when i was working at the video games company really did i get to just be the weirdo that I am. And even then, you know, I'm still conforming to some extent to get along with my coworkers. So otherwise I mean, we would have killed each other. I had to dress in a professional manner and do my accounting business without telling people about how I'm freaky, but that was eight hours a day. With lunch breaks, that was nine hours a day. Okay, with commuting, that was ten hours a day. Although with the commuting, I could be freaky in my car at least. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do you but... believe it, I was freaky in my car. Um... <laughs> but aside from that, I could do whatever. I didn't have to worry about people always looking in on my business and having to live up to their expectations. It's funny, like my mind just trying to think of counterexamples from history, but then again, all the people I've ever heard of were exceptional people, hmm. right? I didn't hear about the average person from 1600, right? Hmm. But, you know, if I think of like Isaac Newton, who was apparently an irascible asshole and eccentric and weird, hmm. but he could get away with it because he's a fucking genius. Hmm. Um, but again, he's the exception. He's an exceptional person. Yeah. the average muggle probably did have to follow more kind of like regimented lifestyle i would assume uh, your average person like in a village or a town would whereas your average person in a city could probably get away with it more with just being a good blacksmith or whatever well especially if like you're at the stage of civilization where like you're a scholar and like that's your job right and it's like okay well i mean so for a long time for a long time too like being a being a scholar wasn't a profession; it was a thing you did because you didn't need money. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, I might as well just figure out what happens when I mix these two things together, and I'll write <laughs> it down, right? Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's it's interesting. This thought provoking review. I will read the whole thing. Um, I didn't do that if it wasn't clear before. Uh, it's I a really good review. This, I so. suggest it to everybody. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, this was your book review, the dawn of everything. Cool. All right. Well, I guess with that, we should move on to the less wrong posts. Let's do it. You guys are going to have to help me a little bit with the posts today. I just read them a little bit before we started the podcast, and I didn't have time to take any notes. I have had an incredibly hectic week, so I apologize in advance. <laughs> Same uh, here, so we can all help each other. Okay, cool. Our first post is Effortless Technique. Uh, my main takeaway from Effortless Technique is that uh, some people seem to think doing a lot of effort is a virtue in and of itself, just working very hard on something means that that is a good thing and look uh, at you bud 
What's that? <laughs> Looking at you. Shut up. <laughs> no, no. I'm not putting it down. I, I, to not to cut ahead, but he he mentions the uh, per, the per, the Protestant work ethic. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, I feel like you've described this as a pathology, not as like a thing to to like about yourself. Um, that you, no, no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I, I think that there's something to it where I definitely feel the vibe where like if I'm if I don't have a job and I'm like don't have anything going on. I'm immediately super miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I totally get where you're coming from. Yeah. But your self-worth shouldn't be tied to like how much how much am I putting into my community, right? Yes. saying exactly what I was going to say. Well, I, I mean, I agree. But he says it like the amount of effort you expend is a bad uh, metric. If what your community wants is for a boulder to get to the top of the hill, the person who does it by expending very little effort and using pulleys and stuff did that just as well as the person who grunts and strains for three years pushing it uphill with a shoulder. Uh, and honestly, the person who used the pulleys is probably more valuable because despite using less effort, it didn't take him three years. God damn it. You know what? I was just thinking about this too. You remember mm-hmm. that scene from the Disney Mulan where they had to climb a pole and the drill sergeant guy put two weights on the arms of anyone who was trying to climb the pole that was supposed to represent, I don't know, fucking dignity and honor, duty or something. And Mulan's the only one who could do it despite being the smallest by just swinging the two weights latching them together and then using it as like a pulley system Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's sort of on one hand it's like it was he trying to test the strength or the tenacity of the person or the cleverness you know because like it was like oh like you know that this kid's the only one who could do it shame on all of you or whatever but that's kind of what i'm thinking about here where like you know if you need to get the boulder to the top of the hill is it's like on one hand, if it's like to find, you know, the strongest man in the village who could fight a bear, I don't know. I like and the... and somebody uses some dumb trick to get it up there, then it's like, well, maybe they could still fight the bear. God damn it! Never mind. <laughs> Go ahead, Stephen. I'm, no. I'm just talking myself in circles. No, I like it. You're making the same point I was going to make, but I've I've been saying this for a long time that I think laziness is a virtue, and this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, you're a programmer. <laughs> well, and he brings up programming too, but uh, but in general, it's like. Uh, the the example I used, I like the boulder one, but was like if you paid me to dig a fifteen by fifteen foot cube hole in your backyard this summer, like I could spend all summer doing it with a spoon, mm-hmm. or I could, and you're going to give me a thousand dollars to do it, I could spend a hundred of that and go rent a, a tool that will get it done in an afternoon, yeah. and then sure I'm out some of the money, but I've saved my entire summer, right? Mm-hmm. And you got the hole you wanted, yeah. So like it, I I think that the the point of the post here is that uh, he, it's talking about. Um, effortless technique in the context of like trying really hard to be a rationalist mm-hmm. uh, whatever sacrificing your emotions like Spock or I don't know putting in I'm assuming tons of time into like uh, decision trees and Bayesian calculated and form estimates on what I should do with how I'm going to plan for dinner this week right mm-hmm. like no just you shouldn't be burning a ton of fuel doing this yeah. um, in fact if you're if you're emphasizing how much fuel you're burning you're doing it wrong Mm-hmm. That, that that's i think the takeaway and i like that yeah the goal is to not just do the thing but if possible do it with less resources because then you're doing it better even though you aren't grunting and straining and making a big show of it yeah that's that's a good thing but as long as you're actually doing it properly i think is the thing that i was getting at or, or doing it at all like yeah laziness isn't a virtue when it just means that someone's doing a piss poor job or yes or, yeah. you know, like, delivering something that's to the letter, but not the spirit of the whatever. Mm-hmm. 100%, yeah. I Efficiency I, is the goal, and good efficiency looks effortless. I should say efficiency is a virtue rather than laziness, but, like, 
I, I say laziness because you can do things where it's like, um, you know, little tasks you do all the time. I'm trying to think of like, you know, is it lazy of me to set a calendar reminder in my phone to change my air filters in my house my, uh, every three months? Or like, should I just be more on top of my stuff? Like, no, I'm lazily offloading my cognition to make sure it gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than just waiting until I've noticed that, like, I've woken up with a sore throat every week for the la- or every day for the last couple of weeks. I should change my air filters. Yeah, when you put it that way, that makes it seem ridiculous. Right. When it's a cognitive task. But it is funny how, like, when it's a, you know, a physical type task, there's this sort of knee jerk. Oh, but that's cheating or whatever. <laughs> I mean, if like it's... you just brain spider. <laughs> that's <laughs> not cheating. That's technique. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I like this in particular because part of the point of um, the sequences, I think, is to update one's heuristics to be more in line with the real world. So then instead of straining and always trying to like calculate everything and apply rationality, uh, you just have the the tools, the ways of looking at things and thinking at things that generally work right and therefore are better able to be implemented quickly and easily. And both, you know, both being quick and easy makes things more likely to be successful and more often done so a better bayesian is one who doesn't have to spend as much effort to get to the same place then you have more effort to spend on other things and it doesn't seem like such a chore to be less wrong all the time does that make sense it makes sense to me Uh, but i I think it's i did like that making this hard or making it look hard isn't the goal and if it's if you're if you're putting too much effort into it you're probably doing it wrong Mm -hmm. the puritans are a good example where they valued hard work so much that they like started villainizing pleasure mm-hmm. and things like music and dance and like good tasting food and comfortable clothes were seen as the opposite of virtues. Yeah. Vices? Yeah, vices. Yes. All right. Well, shall we move on to the next one? Sure. Zen and the art of rationality. Okay. I'm going to pull out this particular thing that I really liked. He- he's talking a lot about the idea that Western wisdom seems to be more about subjecting yourself to an authority and eastern wisdom is seems to be more about like being in harmony with the guiding thing the guiding spirit the tao whatever it is or even sort of like he says in stereotypical eastern philosophy you're supposed to free yourself of all attachments i always found the idea of um you know attaining enlightenment to be a cool idea as compared to you know like read these things and then obey these laws whereas like it's like if you attain enlightenment, then you know what the right thing to do is. You don't have to be told it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says rationality um, seems more like moving in harmony with bays rather than submitting to commands. Because by placing yourself in correspondence with the bays, you wield the power of the bays. If you misstep in the dance, there is no judge who damns you or any divine watcher disappointed in you. You have failed yourself. The laws of probability theory still govern you, entirely indifferent to your submission or defiance. The consequences of your disharmony will occur to you according to the natural order of things. The base does not condemn you for disobedience, but reality will not go according to your hopeful plans. Neither guilt nor repentance will save you, since the base cares nothing for your allegiance. And going on so forth about, yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no entity here. There's just the world as it is. And it is far better to understand the world and work with it to accept what is real rather than to try to overpower it yeah there's a lot of mind over matter it seems uh in western philosophy there's a lot of i mean like sort of you know uh, uh, 
in line with the same idea of attaining enlightenment versus sort of having dogma passed down to you. A lot of early philosophers and scientists were just coming up with theories sitting on their ass at home, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to going out and learning things. Uh, could I uh, just read a part of this that cracked me up? Sure. I can't stand people who try to pass off their ideas as ancient wisdom. Oh, I was going to read the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> as yeah. if that were a recommendation. The 5th century Chinese philosopher Guang Li observed that ancient civilizations are revered, and yet ancient civilizations are not wise like venerable human elders are wise. Mm-hmm. A civilization further back in time is younger, not older. The current civilization is always the senior, because the present enjoys a longer history than the past. Incidentally, does it change your opinion if I tell you Gong Mike Lee is actually a friend of mine from the Bay Area? <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. Does it change your opinion? And, like, let, let's assume, first of all, that it's true that Xiaogan Li is a 5th century Chinese philosopher who said that. Well, he may actually be just a scholar of 5th century Chinese philosophy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That might be true. Like, I don't know which one of these two statements is the truth. But when I think of a 5th century Chinese philosopher pointing out that actually ancient civilizations are younger, I'm like, oh, yeah. Dude, that's cool. But then, like, it's like, yeah, Mike Lee is a friend of mine, and he's the one that said that. I'm like, oh, well, whatever. Really? <laughs> but... I, I did not have the reaction. In fact, I... I mean, and then, like, I felt that emotional reaction, and I was like, oh, no, I'm wrong. This is, this is in fact, literally what he's pointing at. Mike Lee is a lot older than Shaogan uh, Lee because he's had an additional 15 centuries of wisdom to draw upon, so I should be respecting him more. But it just, it didn't, it, it says, he said, the spray painted a patina of venerability upon it by making it an ancient Chinese philosopher rather than his friend Mike. And... Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not proud of that, but at least I recognize that I had that immediate emotional reaction. Did did either of you? Well, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that if if it was indeed the words of somebody from 1500 years ago, the fact that we're aware of them must mean they were esteemed at the time, mm-hmm. right? Which is plausibly correlated with them having something useful to say. Whereas, like my coworker is not necessarily as esteemed as somebody who will be remembered 1500 years from now. But if your coworker so, is actually the one who said that, you should be esteeming him more than the fifth, fifth century guy who didn't say that. No, totally. I'm just saying that, like, I, that's where I think your heuristic came from. Where okay. it's like, you know, oh, if we're still remembering what this guy said from a thousand years ago, he must have been really something. I see. Um, that said, the root, the words themselves struck me as truer because, mm-hmm. like, when when it was like, oh yeah, this is my, you know, this is ancient wisdom. I'm like, oh, that's funny because people have been saying for 1500 years about how the ancients used to be smarter. But um, really, if you think about it, that's not the case. That just gets more true as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And so then, yeah, when they added 1,500 more years to the to the age of the person, then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's I, I like it even more because it, it's ah. more true okay. when, when, somebody today sa- when somebody today says it. So the opposite of my reaction. Yeah, I have such a knee-jerk reaction to anything like, you know, ancient Chinese wisdom. I just start thinking about acupuncture and people like ah. eating lizards as a remedy for things. Yeah. Yeah, you said you actually didn't have that reaction at all. So you you have... More correct heuristics than I do. It's probably just from being in the skeptic atheist slash rationality community for so long that I've, like, stomped that out of me, though. I might even lean too far in the other direction where I'm more tend Like, if I hear that something is a traditional medicine, I'm sort of tempted out of hand to dismiss it. And yeah. I've had to sort of go against my instinct there to some like because there are things like rhodiola, uh, rosea, uh, like ashwagandha that, like, do have the effects that... Or, or do have effects, like, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. that I just, just because ancient people knew about it doesn't mean that's garbage. <laughs> I just realized that uh, Mike Lee got a cameo in Methods of Rationality. 
<laughs> oh shit! Yeah. They even mentioned how his how he gave his kids like American sounding names or English sounding names because he grew up. Is he one of the orders? Yeah, at Azkaban. I remember it. Yeah. That's funny. It, it adds some esteem to the idea that like, oh yeah, it's not just that this is ancient wisdom, quote unquote. It's just that like somebody is remembered for fifteen hundred years of having said this. You know, if if I give you some some nugget of wisdom, and I'm like, no, that's an original Stephen, or no, that's an original Marcus Aurelius, mm-hmm. like. It sounds cool if it's Marcus Aurelius, just because uh, the fact that anyone remembers what he says must mean that he was, you know, probably pretty something, probably something pretty interesting, right? Yeah. So. And he has those distinguished us's at the end of his name. Yeah. I need more of those in my name. <laughs> Stevenus <laughs> Zuberus. <laughs> the, the ninth. Indeed. It does sound very wizardy. Yeah. Okay, that's everything I had on these, you guys. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, I mean, he gives advice to say everyone should read a Buddhist book or a Zen philosophy or something. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that he caveats it with saying, preferably, preferably a book in its original English recommended to you by someone, by some mathematician or programmer or scientist, <laughs> and not just like any book off the shelf. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's crop. Yeah, just like just like every self-help philosophy or something, there's going to be a lot of bullshit out there. The bullshit, what is that rule on the internet? 90% of stuff is bullshit? Sturgeon's Law. There we go, Sturgeon's 90% Law. 90% of everything, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, get a good recommendation and then read something. I was told by somebody, because hmm. uh, I mentioned on Not Everything is a Clue, that I had some conception about what was in the book. Uh, Zen, Zen and the Art of a Motorcycle Maintenance? Yeah. yeah. And someone's like, don't read it, your, your idea is way cooler than what's in that book. And I was like, <laughs> you got it. It's a lot easier than telling me to read it. It's so. actually a lot more of a biography or like a what is it like a memoir yeah, yeah right on more power I mean, to it's the still author cool then, it's but... just a sort of i think i had the same idea that it was going to be about humbleness and like respecting the parts of a motorcycle and like i don't know like etc etc it's, it's yeah <laughs> much, much more like it sounds like a less fun version of like surely you're joking mr Feynman. yeah all right fair enough well, for next week, we are going to read The Less Wrong Posts, The Amazing Virgin Pregnancy, mm-hmm. and Ask's Conformity Experiment. Is it Ask? Ask? I've always heard Ash. Ash? But... Ash's Conformity Experiment. Whose turn is it to thank a patron? <laughs> okay, so I'll do it. Uh, it's thank a patron time, and this time we're thanking George Leontieve. Thanks, George Leontieve. You have the best social status of anyone in our circle and we think you're great and everybody should respect you a lot yeah no no bad gossiping about george no george <laughs> is a hoopy fruit <laughs> a what hoopy fr- it's it's from skeptic's guide to the galaxy a hoopy fruit is a guy who's always knows where his towels are there i have to surrender one of my nerd cards i haven't seen that movie or read that book so oh no uh, honestly anyway. i don't think it's the best book it's it's more there for cultural reasons to read it. I think Douglas Adams had a way of writing that I've never read anything more than a few paragraphs of what he's written. Mm-hmm. But it's I can read a, I can read a paragraph. And I'm like, oh, that's Douglas Adams. Yeah. It's weird. I think I'm weird because I don't like most British comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, a matter of taste. There, there's British weird. comedy. But I'm, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, George, you rock. High five, and thank you for making this episode possible. Yes, you help us to bring the word out to the people and increase the Dunbar spheres i don't know <laughs> we always try tie-ins they don't always work but yeah. that's not on you that's on us i mean I, I feel like this this section is probably funny so that maybe makes up for it being so awkward i do think at the very least uh he should get some mad props for helping to keep this podcast going uh which is important oh, yeah. 
we need resources and resources were given in this case by George Leontief and we appreciate that quite a lot. Yeah. Something so. something help us increase our Dunbar's number. Please. <laughs> but yeah, mad respect Listeners. to you. Mad respect to all our donors. Before we turn everyone off by trying to make more bad segue tie-in puns, we should just call it a week. And uh, once again, high five. Thanks, for, uh, er- thanks to everybody. And thanks again, especially to George. Absolutely. Bye, Agreed. everyone. Goodbye.